And welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, attorney and healthcare advocate. And many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks. World-class web hosting and domain registration. Learn more about them by going to pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. This program is devoted to the one issue which impacts every American, health care. And our mission is to raise the level of discussion. This is not debate by soundbite. This is not screaming, talking heads. This is much more than that. We start this week with the news, and we are in the eye of the hurricane when it comes to health care policy and health care politics. In response to the failure 10 days ago of the Trump-Ryan health care plan, the president has been using a combination of threats, flattery, and golf to uh, try and win over those who announced that they would vote against the president's plan. This included a golf outing yesterday, which was Sunday, with Senator Paul uh, Rand Paul, Rand Paul, uh, senator from Kentucky, uh, one of the most vocal opponents, who afterward told reporters that they had a great time, and uh, he and did discuss during the golf. Uh, the repeal of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. So it's nice that they could take a few moments from uh, driving and pitching and putting to talk about something that impacts every American. So it's great that they found the time to do that. Uh, In recent tweets, the president has also threatened to campaign against members of the ultra-conservative House members uh, who call themselves the uh, Freedom Caucus. Those are the ones who opposed uh, Trump-Ryan care because it was not an absolute repeal of the Affordable Care Act and the Patient Protection Act. And, of course, that's what they've been promising for seven years. So they are really quite miffed that the president and and governors from around the country uh, thought that maybe it wasn't a great idea to pull health care from 20-some million people and guarantee that Within the next 10 years, we'd have 50 million uninsured. That maybe, maybe we ought to rethink that. And and actually, the polls demonstrated that only 17 percent of the American people supported Trump Ryan Care. And for somebody who is so sensitive to his poll numbers, you would think the president uh, might have noted that. And instead of pushing to keep uh, going with it, maybe he would think more broadly. Uh, in the meanwhile. The Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, which the president and some others deride as Obamacare, is actually more popular now than it has ever been. And governors from around the country, even Republican governors, are making it very clear they don't want to go back. They think the expansion of Medicaid was terribly important and critical. Also, Bernie Sanders, who is the most popular uh, politician in the United States, just look it up, even Fox News, has said that in its polls, Bernie Sanders, of all people, is the most popular uh, politician. He's out there really pushing hard for single payer, and he's pushing hard for uh, a drug price reform, and he also thinks that all these states that are having trouble getting uh, commercial insurers to participate in the exchanges, the Affordable Care Act exchanges, ought to just be given the right to include Medicare as one of the choices and let people buy into Medicare. Boy, that's that's just so obvious. He also is pushing hard for reducing the uh, eligibility 
for Social Security to age 60 or even age 55. And when you realize that it is far more expensive to take care of uh, the 55, 60, and 64-year-olds, by doing that, you could dramatically lower the cost for everybody else. And if you insist on keeping a commercial health care plan option, well, then those all get a lot cheaper. So he's also pushing hard for the long-term solution, which is his Medicare for all, which we really need to uh, encourage. But probably the biggest news, and we're going to close the news section with this, Charles Crothammer, of all people, a Fox News talking head, has basically come on board and said, look, single payer is where we're going. And to quote him, he said, a broad national consensus is developing that health care is indeed a right can you believe a commentator from Fox News is saying health care is indeed a right, or at least he recognizes the rest of us think that. And he goes on to write, it suggests that we may be heading inexorably, inexorably, I love that word, inexorably, to a government-run single-payer system. And boy, that would be great. So that's the news this week. We're going to be back in just a moment with commentary and a great guest about who is going to talk to us about elder care. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. See you soon. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Healthcare is a human right. This is Steve Larchuk with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And welcome back. We have this week a very special guest, a dear friend of mine. His name is uh, Dr. Alan Teal. He's a gerontologist and family practice physician from Maine and an absolute expert in managing elder care and aging in place strategies. Uh, If you're not uh, getting close to retirement age or beyond, you probably have parents, grandparents, even great-grandparents who are trying to manage uh, the last stages, Act 3 of our three-act life. And the cost is just one of the elements of that. These are people who deserve our respect, not just for what they've done, but because what they're doing for us every day. And Dr. Teal is just a superb person, and you'll, you'll really enjoy what he has to say. I've known him for a long time, and when we started to plan this show, I knew that this was going to be one of the essential guests. He's from Maine, and he was uh, kind enough to give us a a good half hour of time, so look forward to that. That'll follow my commentary. Uh, And I wanted to, before I I get into the commentary, just a little tease here. Do Do you realize that we will soon have a million people over the age of 100? A million people. If you remember the old days when uh, uh, Wilbur, the guy Scott, the weatherman on the Today Show, used to make a big fuss when somebody would turn 100 and they'd have their picture and they'd have the cake with the 100 candles and the whole bit. Now it's like ho-hum. A million people are going to be over 100, and that's the fastest growing part of the uh, population, if you can believe that. Another uh, 
less happy part of that is that unless we find a cure for Alzheimer's and severe dementia, after age 80, your chances of getting Alzheimer's or severe dementia is about 50%, one in two. So how lucky do you feel? If you uh, are one of those people that doesn't assume you'll be in the lucky group, then you ought to be voting your, your future in terms of when the politicians come out and ask for your vote. Ask them what they're doing about elder care and how we're going to support um, a million people over 100. But let's, first, let's talk about what's happening with health care, politics, and if you are a believer in single-payer, then you should be absolutely spinning at the prospect of something happening right now. We have never been closer to quality health care for every American than we are right now. And if, you, if the window is opening, uh, you can say that. You can say the window is opening. You can say we are approaching a perfect storm. You can say hell is freezing over. You can say pigs are flying. We are on the other side of the looking glass. Whatever you want to call it, we are there. And what, what makes me so giddy? And I, I'm, I, I am confessing and unapologetically, unapologetically telling you I am giddy at the prospect of our getting serious discussion and hopefully serious legislative action on health care for all, Medicare for all. And first, why? Why do I feel so giddy? First, the failure of the Republican bill is an absolute essential element to getting us here. As long as there were a group of Republican legislators who thought that, for some reason, all the rest of us wanted them to kill the, uh, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, they were just dead wrong. It's like fighting the, the last war. You know, we always blame the military for planning to fight the next war like we fought the last war. Well, the, the Republicans were guilty of that. They think that the, the American people are right where they were in 2010 and 11 before the Affordable Care Act had actually even gone into, into force. And a lot of people were against it just because they were against anything like that. And now, now that we've, we've seen the Affordable Care Act go through two challenges in the Supreme Court and survive, survive a Supreme Court of uh, very conservative justices, and expand the Medicaid for all to millions of people who, who wouldn't have otherwise been eligible, people were beginning to like it. And so that's, um, that was breaking the ice for us. And so what, what was just proved with the failure of the Trump-Ryan bill was that they had a great slogan. Repeal and replace was just a great slogan. And that's all they had. They had no plan, and now everybody knows it, and that's why their plan only had a 17% approval rating. And honest to God, I don't know why it was so high. I just, I'd like to talk to some of the 17% and just ask them, Did you, were you like the president? You never really read it? You just, whatever? So anyway, that's the first thing. Second, ironically, we have elected the only person who probably could actually get a universal health care plan through Congress and sign it, and that's Donald Trump. And it just, it's ironic, I know. You're all thinking, Did I, am I smoking something? The answer is no, I'm not smoking something. What I'm saying is, just like Nixon could, was the only one that could go to China because he was this ardent anti-communist, and he had the street cred to go try and create a relationship with China, we have that with Donald Trump. And if Hillary Clinton had won, nothing would have happened. We, so... 
we have this ironic opportunity with Donald Trump. And for all of those who want to get him impeached, impeach him after he signs the Medicare for All. Okay, just give us a little time to work that because you can be sure that Vice President Pence has no interest whatsoever in helping the rest of us out with that. So that's important. Next, we have um, experienced the patient protection part of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, and it doesn't take Americans to get used to things being right. And let me just remind you that the Patient Protection Act provided that insurance companies could not refuse to insure you because of a pre-existing condition or because you're a woman or because you you work in a hazardous job. And before, they could. They would just cherry-pick the people with the fewest risks, and if you didn't qualify, too bad. Uh, Insurance premiums must actually be used for insurance uh, payments to for care. I mean, what a novel concept that the money that you pay for your insurance should actually go to pay for people that need health. That wasn't the way it was before. Insurance companies can no longer just throw people off coverage because they get sick or have an accident before they could. And see, we're getting used to that now. And so we have a situation where governors also are getting used to the idea, even Republican governors are getting used to the idea that expanding Medicaid to adults who may not have children is a good idea. I mean, just saying, look, you're, you're unemployed, and that's not bad enough. We're going to punish you by making sure you don't get care for your diabetes, you don't get care for your problems. And by the way, uh, we're going to keep you sick so that you never can get a job. And so that, that people are figuring this out, and that's part of why I'm so giddy is because we had to go through this this torture, this torturous phase to let everybody really become educated. As I mentioned uh, previously, Bernie Sanders is the most popular politician in the country. That's according to the Fox News poll. Now, why is Bernie Sanders the most popular politician in the country? It's not the hair, that's for sure. Uh, It helps, but it's not the hair. It's because he's out there totally committed, all in, on Medicare for all. And the more people think about it, the more people are interested in that. And we're also seeing a rush in the House of Representatives. More House members are beginning to sign on as co-sponsors for the old John Conyers Health Care for All bill, H.R. 676. He reintroduces that every two years, and usually 40, 50 people sign up for it. Now there is a rush. So we are really, really getting there. And I'll end with uh, quoting Charles Krauthammer, who is a conservative uh, talking head for the Fox people, and he's, he's admitted, he, this is a quote, a broad national consensus is developing that health care is indeed a human right. Well, it, if you're not giddy, then I don't know what to say. This is Steve Larchuk. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. When we come back, you're going to meet one of the truly wonderful people that you'll ever hear from. His name is Dr. Teal Chip Teal, and I'm looking forward to your hearing him. This is Steve Larchuk, back in a few minutes. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. 
Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals and Wheels America and the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Singapore is what it's called. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, attorney and healthcare advocate. And today we are honored to have joining us by telephone from Maine, my dear friend of many years, Dr. Alan S. Teal. We all call him Chip. So if I call him Chip from time to time during the interview, uh, please forgive me. We've just known each other a very long time. But formally, it's Dr. Alan S. Teal, T-E-E-L. And Dr. Teal and I met in the Virgin Islands years and years ago when he was presenting uh, what was at the time a very radical approach to elder care. Uh, All of us, we uh, aspire to be elder, we aspire to be old, and we we all have uh, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and if you are one of the people in your family that's responsible for their care, then you know as they age, uh, they suffer not only physical and mental uh, frailty and infirmities, but there is also a financial uh, aspect to it. And Dr. Teal has become, over his career, an expert on that very thing. He's also the author of a groundbreaking book titled Alone and Invisible No More, and so I welcome to the show Dr. Teal, Chip Teal. Welcome. Thank you so much, Steve. It's good to be with you. Well, you are calling us from Maine today. Is that correct? Uh, I am, and we are um, uh, uh, trying to figure out whether spring is coming, but uh, we think it is. The sun is higher in the sky and a little warmer, and uh, uh, so a little more optimism as we head into another season of the year. Well, it's uh, as we watch the turmoil in Washington, D.C. over the uh, repeal and displace plan of the Republican <laughs> Party, uh, it's nice to think that the, the seasons will go on no matter what happens in Washington, D.C. But I'd like to take this time in our first segment, and I should tell the listeners, you are our only guest today, which is our usual custom. We like to have one guest for the whole hour, and so today you are it, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy day. But let's first, let's start off with what is happening with our elder population. What is the nature of the problem that we are trying to solve? Well, overall, as most of your listeners read everywhere uh, or hear everywhere when they pick up any communication, we are a country that is getting very much older very quickly. Uh, and the demographics of aging are uh, both the number of people over 65, which are doubling uh, over the next 15 or 20 years to go from uh, roughly the 40 million that we have right now uh, to 82 million uh, by uh, within the next 20 years. But uh, within that, the population over 85 is tripling 
to about 15 million. And the population over age 100 is going to quintuple to be about a million people. Uh, so it's one thing for us to say, well, gee, uh, a lot of us are baby boomers or retiring uh, each day now at 65, but the reality is our life expectancy is another 20 years, uh, and for those that make it to 85, uh, their life expectancy is almost another 10 years. So uh, when you get start thinking about what is the role for individuals uh, of that age in our society, uh, we've got to create some new uh, opportunities and uh, offerings uh, for us all. Uh, the second part of the puzzle is very much the economics. Most people, when they uh, uh, are working, um, are not setting aside enough money, as if there really is enough money, uh, to uh, last you for 30, 35 years after retirement. Um, so even those that were uh, most frugal and looked forward enough, uh, if they live long enough, they run out of money. Um, and um, uh, one of the most striking economic uh, statistics for me was hearing that about half of the people that are over 65 uh, have less than $10,000 in total assets. That isn't going to go very far uh, when nursing home or residential care costs that amount every month. Um, uh, and so how are we going to approach this uh, demographic and economic uh, issue to say nothing of the social and moral imperative that is behind that about what is it that gives you purpose and meaning when you're 85 or 90 or 95, um, which kind of brings us around uh, to what should the solution look like. Well, it's amazing how many people we're going to have. You said pretty soon we'll have a million people over 100 years old. That's right. By mid-century, which is only about 30 years away, that is the projection. So it's not uh, Willard Scott on the Today Show, for those of you who remember him, you know, wishing uh, Martha uh, a happy birthday at age 100. It's a million of us. Uh, uh, so uh, I think the, the fastest-growing segment of our population in the United States is those over age 90. Now, I read somewhere, uh, Dr. Thiel, that if you reach the age of 80, your chances of, uh, of developing Alzheimer's sometime during the rest of your life is something like 50-50? Yeah, that's right. Those are the statistics. Um, uh, but I think they put within that uh, a good bit of uh, unwarranted fear um, that uh, Alzheimer's disease, um, you know, as uh, at its early stages, it's called either mild cognitive impairment uh, or benign senescent forgetfulness. Um, you know, so uh, uh, the reality is that when you parse out uh, uh, what kind of problems we're really having with memory, uh, the solutions have to do with how does that memory issue impact my daily life. And I like to use the example of my father when uh, he was alive at the end of his life. Um, he still was a very engaging conversationalist, even though he might not re ever be able to remember your name. Uh, 
and might still even not even be able to remember the names of his kids, uh, and certainly not what he had for breakfast or whether he took his pills today or not. But it really didn't have to change, uh, in spite of his memory impairment, uh, the entertainment that we all would have spending some time with him. So uh, he was still able to uh, be an important participant and um, uh, could even do more than just converse. You know, he could certainly recognize danger and respond to situations uh, that called for him to respond uh, if he were put in that kind of a predicament. One of the things that's remarkable about your career is that you've actually, in addition to having a private practice where you took care of thousands of people that were considered elderly, you also have been a medical director of a nursing home for a while. You also put together a, a uh, network of group homes for elders, and you you tried making all three of those things work, and then ultimately you came around to the conclusion that the best way to take care of older people were to keep them in their own homes or with their families just as long as possible. Absolutely. The um, you know, survey after survey by AARP or any other policy group uh, finds that 90% of older individuals want to stay in their own homes. Okay, so uh, what we're going to do... When we come back from break, we're going to break here in just a few seconds for a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what I call the better way, something you've been working on for years and years. How can we keep our elders where they really want to be, which is in their own homes, with their own stuff, their own smells, their own pets, in their neighborhoods? I want to talk all about that and and what you've been doing to help make that possible up in Maine. So we're going to take a break right now. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, and we'll be right back. Question. What do you get when you mix a barrel of fables, a sack of mendacity, and a gross of whoppers topped with a thick layer of subterfuge? Answer. The fiasco called Trump Care. We're going to do something that's great, the Donald Trump did when he endorsed House Speaker Paul Ryan's bill to displace Obamacare. But Trump Care was great only in the sense that it was a great big bloated concoction of lies. Start with the original lie that right-wing Republicans have harped on for nearly a decade. Obamacare is a total failure. We'll, quote, repeal and replace it as soon as we get control of the national government, they shouted. Then, when Trump happened, he made killing Obama's Affordable Care Act his top legislative priority. Ryan chimed in with a perfect imitation of Chicken Little, squawking that the ACA is in a, quote, death spiral. In fact, the president and the speaker were lying. While Obamacare has flaws that require fixing, overall, it's been a tremendous success. It has reduced by almost half the number of Americans who had no health coverage, benefiting especially many white working-class people who had supported Trump. Moreover, the overwhelming majority of the millions who gained ACA coverage are satisfied and glad to have it. Undeterred, the Trumpsters tried another chicken little tale. The health law is doomed, they squawk, because it's been unprofitable for the insurance giants, so they're withdrawing. Bogus! 
In fact, the profits of Aetna, Cigna, Humana, United Health, and other managed care corporations have soared under Obamacare. The biggest one, United Health, has seen the value of its shares skyrocket by a spectacular 480% since the ACA expansion of Medicaid. This is Jim Hightower saying, that's why Trump is so hostile to truth-based news. Actual facts exposed his lies. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone, to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. And our guest this week is Dr. Alan Teal from the great state of Maine, who is an absolute expert, I should say, internationally recognized expert on elder care. And before we took our break, we were talking about what he has learned over a career of taking care of older people. And during this segment, we want to focus on the concept of aging in place. There's, that's a, a real buzzword out there. And what it really boils down to is instead of packing up our elders and shipping them off to a nursing home where they really don't want to be and where it's really incredibly expensive, not particularly safe, you have sometimes 100% turnover of the staff, uh, instead of doing that, plus, you know, it costs a fortune to build these places. And instead of doing that, some people have thought about group homes, and they're somewhat better, but you still have uh, a sense for the elder that they're being ripped out of their neighborhoods, their communities, their churches, synagogues, whatever. So the, the thought then comes, can they stay at home? Can they really stay at home? And I'm going to 
use uh, host's prerogative here to tell a little story on, on Dr. Teal. When I first heard him present some of the ideas he's going to talk about, one of the things he mentioned was that he had two Alzheimer's patients, two women who had uh, pretty advanced Alzheimer's, and they were living in their own homes by themselves. And I, when I heard that, I was shocked. I said, oh, my God, that's, that sounds really dangerous. And, and you explained, Dr. Teal, look, these women wake up in the morning. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they are but they know where the bathroom is. You know, there's something that just sort of gets hardwired into your, your brain from just living in a place. And if you took that same patient, you move them next door, they would be really lost. So that really got me thinking that maybe Dr. Teal knows something I don't know. So let's talk about that a little bit, uh, Chip. What, what is it that you think is a, the better way here? Let me give you an example, Steve. Uh, when... Um, in a- uh, my conventional teaching has been just like most of your listeners uh, and you, where we think that dementia or memory impairment is a deal breaker for living independently. Uh, and I give the example of uh, uh, my father often, uh, but these same two older women that lived independently and had never met each other uh, were patients, clients, customers, members of our program uh, when we had a power outage and during an ice storm a few years ago. Um, and the power outage was predicted to last for three or four days, and uh, one of these two individuals did not have uh, a loved one within the state of Maine, and the other one, uh, 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 their relatives were away. Uh, so uh, we just matter-of-factly told these two individuals the situation and said we were going to move them to the spare bedroom uh, in my dad's house for a couple of days until the power came back on. Uh, a very radical idea for two people who are in their 90s with significant dementia and who had never met each other. Um, and uh, it was uh, a solution built out of uh, urgency um, and the necessity uh, of uh, the situation. Uh, they uh, shared uh, a bedroom with twin beds on a first floor. My dad had caregivers a couple of times a day, so it was not any harder for those caregivers to look after three people uh, than one. Uh, these folks found their way to and from the bathroom. Uh, through the night and the next day. Uh, they ate heartily. They talked like they'd known each other their whole life. Uh, and my dad really loved the company. Um, and out of this uh, uh, came a realization that even though they all had uh, difficulties, uh, one of the things that uh, I had seen and struggled with when I was taking care of people in the rehab facility or uh, in the hospital is families would ask, uh, well, how much care uh, does my fragile aging parent leave at, uh, need at home? Uh, and we would tell them, uh, well, gee, yesterday they needed a little help in the middle of the night. Uh, the week before that, they needed help in the middle of the afternoon. So it was very random uh, that they needed a little bit of assistance. Uh, and so our default answer in healthcare 
is, well, gee, you're going to need 24-7 around-the-clock care because we can't predict when you're going to need help. So the issues then uh, become how do you solve that, and that's where technology has to come in. Uh, because if I can do a virtual check-in uh, or a uh, spot check on that individual uh, remotely um, and just reassure myself that everything is okay, and I can give them some sort of a call button uh, to reach me if they need something, and I can have a number of other people from family members who might be calling them to neighbors or churchmates, uh, congregants that might check on them once in a while, uh, to the mailman and the newspaper boy or the hairdresser. We have a whole lot of people that are in our circle. And if we engage all of them in helping us do what uh, we would like, we can use people, technology, uh, and very much attitude uh, uh, that must, must uh, be integrated into this changing solution. The uh, attitudinal piece, I think, is key. There is something that uh, the advocates uh, for deinstitutionalizing those that were uh, not so kindly called the mentally retarded in the 70s, when that was happening, the advocates for bringing those individuals from institutions into the community coined the phrase dignity of risk. And that phrase essentially says that if you're going to let me live in community and you're going to allow me to live a rich, full life, you have to accept the fact that sometimes uh, I succeed and sometimes I fail. Sometimes things happen. Most older individuals are aware of risk. Uh, and that's not going to stop them from walking to the mailbox. That's not going to stop them from trying to uh, live independently, uh, get in and out of the shower by themselves. And fortunately, bad things happen only, only very infrequently. So if I can set up some support solution where I am available, uh, where I can spot check people uh, frequently, where I have enough touch points, uh, with individuals over the course of their day and week, and I have an ability to respond to that, and I'm willing to embrace this dignity of risk that says that these individuals' quality of life trumps being able uh, to uh, 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 still live on their own, then uh, we can do this. Um, I, another personal example was uh, with uh, my grandmother, like many older individuals, their life revolves around their pet, whether it be a dog or a cat. In her case, it was a cat that was about the size of a dog. Uh, and the reality is that if you separated her from her pet, uh, she would be dead in a week or two. That was the reason she got up in the morning. And so what you had to do was uh, accept her living alone, uh, because this cat went with her and there were not a lot of residential care facilities that would take her uh, and her cat. So you had to, as a, as a grandson, uh, you had to be willing to accept that because that's what her quality of life demanded. Uh, so that's the path that we went down to found something called Full Circle America, where it is trying to 
meld all of these themes into an at-home support solution of people, attitude, and technology. Well, and Dr. Teal, we, we could talk about this all day long, and I think uh, people who are listening to the program are probably really perking up their ears because it touches all of us. We have to take another break here. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how, how we can convert our current system which is not working or working very poorly to something akin to what you're describing with Full Circle America and the the main experiment that you're working on. So when we come back for break, I'd like you to give some suggestions on what has to be done, what we have to do as a society, what the people in Washington, D.C. have to be willing to do. Until then, until we come back in just a few minutes, this is Steve Larchuk. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, and we'll be right back. Millions unemployed are working minimum wage where they got no choice. The only place without universal care. Rest off, get it. What the heck's a problem over here? You're listening to Win Workers Independent News, a diversified media enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. A Bloomberg Businessweek story based on OSHA records has revealed a horrible carnage being inflicted on Alabama workers at non-union auto plants. The piece details safety violations resulting in awful injuries to workers, including burning flesh, crushed limbs, dismembered body parts, and a flailing fall into a vat of acid. The Bloomberg story says the files read like Upton Sinclair or even Dickens. These injuries and deaths are the result of intense production pressures with no union present to insist on safe working conditions. Regina Elsie was impaled on an industrial robot at the Mercedes plant and killed. Phyllis Taylor, one of the workers quoted in the Bloomberg story, says there's always pressure to produce more parts and management doesn't listen when workers raise serious safety issues. She was burned in an industrial oven making BMW parts at the HP Pelzer Company. OSHA fined HP Pelzer $705,000 for 12 repeat safety violations. Rico Allen was working as a temp janitor at Matsu when they ordered him to operate a metal stamping press instead with no training at all. An accident resulted in amputation of his arm after the metal press slammed onto him. He won a multi-million dollar settlement out of court, but he says he would rather have not lost his arm. With no unions and weak government enforcement, workers in Alabama's auto industry are at the mercy of employers who treat them like interchangeable parts with no real concern for workers' safety. The Bloomberg report says, quote, Employees work ungodly hours six or seven days a week for months on end. Pay is low, turnover is high, training is scant, and safety is an afterthought. Chicago will participate in Tuesday's Fight Racism Raise Pay Actions being held in 24 cities. It's the anniversary of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Organizers say thousands of underpaid workers will join racial justice activists, elected officials, and clergy for rallies, marches, teach-ins, and other demonstrations Tuesday. They are stressing that the push for economic and racial justice, quote, remains as deeply linked today as when Dr. King was killed in 1968, supporting striking black sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee. Chicago demonstrators will demand that the Illinois General Assembly passed the Fight for 15 bill, HB 198. They will also protest what they say are the anti-worker, anti-union policies of Governor Bruce Rauner and Donald Trump. Win is made possible in part by the OPEIU, the Office and Professional Employees International Union. Workers Independent News puts workers and their unions on the national radio news airwaves every day. To help keep labor's voice on the air, go to laborradio.org. Workers Independent News is heard daily on The Rick Smith Show, 10 to noon Eastern Time at thericksmithshow.com. 
The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. You've been listening to Win Workers Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin, look at us, we're over here. Justin, Justin, OMG, he just looked, I love you, Justin, I love you. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Is what it's and you are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk, and our special guest this week is Dr. Alan Teal from the state of Maine, an expert on elder care and more to the point how we take care of older people and how they can take care of themselves. And before we move into the next segment, I just want to tell a little story uh, from, from memory, and I think people of a certain age will remember uh, one of the icons of the last century was Jackie Kennedy Onassis. And a lot of people looked at her as being sort of the uh, representative of, of the elegant life. Well, like all of us, uh, she uh, got older and eventually she passed away. And I remember watching her son, uh, who uh, those of us of a certain age uh, called John John, uh, out on the street in New York City uh, on the... A street with a crowd of reporters, and this was in front of the building where she had her apartment. And he said to the crowd, and I remember it like like it happened yesterday. He said, "My mother died surrounded by the things she loved. She was with her books and her family and her friends, and she died um, exactly where she wanted to be." And I thought to myself then, and I I remember it all these years later. We should all be so lucky. And part of what you've been describing, Dr. Teal, is is that really that is what we should be aiming for. This whole concept of warehousing people is crazy, and it's economically unsustainable, so having people stay at home is better, but it just can't happen by itself. We need to make some changes in our philosophy. You touched upon that. You talked about the dignity of risk. I think in your book you even mentioned people have a right to fall. That's part of the the dignity of risk. You can't wrap your your grandparents in bubble wrap and keep them immune from just life and then claim that that's life, that, that, that they're living. So let's talk about that. What would What is it going to take politically, because this show is called Healthcare Politics, so let's talk about the politics side of it. What's it going to take so that we can transition the United States into a more supportive environment for stay-at-home strategies? Well, the the good news is the solution isn't that complicated. Uh, getting there is, but the solution itself, most older individuals ask very little of the world around them. You know, they, um, you know, when was the last time that anyone asked a 90-year-old what was on their bucket list? You know, what are their goals? 
for the next year or two? Uh, what gives them a reason to get up in the morning? For a lot of people, it would the answer would be, boy, I'd love to ride around and see that lighthouse, or I'd like to go see where I used to live when I was a, a, a young child. You know, their their desires are not extravagant or expect or expensive. They are really focused around some sort of connection. Um, unfortunately, most of the policy uh, for re- you know uh, heavily funds residential care. Uh, which is the word for either nursing home uh, or uh, dementia unit care in some sort of a facility long term. Uh, And it does not go for community-based care. Uh, In order to be able to get a little bit of help at home, you have to have a pre-existing recognized condition, uh, like you have to be homebound, uh, as if any of us would think that being homebound uh, would be healthy, you know. So if the requirement to be able to get a couple of hours, a couple of times a week of support means that you can never leave your house even to go to church or to get your hair done, that's a ridiculous public policy. Uh, but most of the resources that uh, are spent at the state and federal level uh, go for residential care. You know, we're looking... Uh, uh, through public policy at rebalancing the efforts so that more money uh, is spent uh, on uh, community-based and home-based care. Uh, but those that's a very hard lift to get the policymakers to change. But right now, among elders needing care, uh, the vast majority of them live in their own homes or they live with family or close friends. Over 90% of the people who need help right now who are older live in their own homes. They are not in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. So our solution has to be tailored to where these individuals are. Um, And what are we going to do public policy-wise? Fortunately, there is increasing evidence from uh, progressive healthcare thinkers about something that is called the social determinants of health. Uh, It is really a a phrase that means that these things impact your health more than anything that you can do with an additional blood test or an additional x-ray or an additional visit to a specialist. Uh, That it's well known that loneliness increases functional decline by almost 60% and the rate of death by almost 45%. So how do you fix loneliness? It's trying to get some social interaction, and moving you to a nursing home doesn't do that. More than 60% of the people who live in a nursing home never, never have a visitor, Uh, not once. So the reality is that not only are we warehousing people, but uh, we are... Uh, really impacting their quality of life very, very negatively. Uh, The solutions that I've talked about here, it only costs a few hundred dollars a month to be able to provide a lot of the uh, contact and supervision provided that you allow the technology of the telephone, the Internet, video calling for some sort of interactive uh, solution. 
I believe we're not far away from having the television be your interactive video hub uh, now that most of them uh, have web-based uh, applications that you can view on your TV. There's no reason that it can't be the interactive uh, communication tool for all of these elders, and they all have a television, and it's nearly always on. So we have a solution in front of us if we start uh, doing more than what we're doing in terms of scratching the surface to use this uh, to bring these bring the community events into people's homes rather well, than trying to move them somewhere else. Well, so it's it's better for the community, it's more cost-effective, and it's better for the person. And one of the things you emphasize in your book is that these o- older people actually represent a resource in themselves. If we can get them helping each other, in other words, if you've got a list of five people that you're supposed to call today, you wake up and you have something to do. You have something important to do today. And it doesn't cost anything, and they're happy to do it. Have you had that experience? I certainly have. Even individuals that are retired social workers in their 80s who are legally blind, if you give them a large enough uh, button, push-button phone or a voice-activated phone, they are thrilled to have the opportunity uh, to be asked to be on a phone tree and call a few individuals uh, every day to check in on them. As a matter of fact, I've had individuals bring their phone list with them to the hospital themselves or to their daughters out of state when they're on vacation because they've got a job to do. And this job, so they, they are seeking purpose in their lives. Well, and if, yeah. Thank and, you. And, well, I, and I hate to interrupt. I, we could talk about this, and actually you and I have, for hours and hours and hours at a time. But I just want to say one last time uh, that you have a book. It's called Alone and Invisible No More. Obviously, you're referring to the elders. There are, uh, and the theme of your book is they don't have to be alone, and they're not invisible. And we, we have a strategy that's much less expensive than what we're doing now. So, Dr. Teal, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. I hope you'll join us again someday. But for now, uh, we're going to let you go. And I'm just going to say a few more words here as we're getting ready to exit uh, this segment of the program. Uh, All of us are, are facing this issue in our own lives, but it's a community challenge. If you don't give it some thought, please start giving it some thought because sooner, sooner or later, you will be old too. So this is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We'll be back with a few final thoughts in just a few minutes. Got no choice. The only place without universal care. Rest all get it. What the heck's a problem over here? You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano. Selfies on your feed. Your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times. 51. 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. 
This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. You like working with your hands. You're good at putting things together. And you take pride in your work. Hey, with your skills and drive, you could have a satisfying, stable career as a sheet metal worker. Sheet Metal Local 12 is accepting apprentices right now. Earn while you learn to work with a product that's vital to technology and manufacturing in nearly every industry known to man. Apply today or learn more online at smlocal12.org. That's smlocal12.org. Your future begins right now. smlocal12.org. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. I'm not. M2. I'm not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Single payer is what it's called. And we have just completed a very interesting hour uh, of news and more to the point, uh, a long chat with Dr. Alan Teal from the state of Maine, expert in elder care, uh, talking about the dignity of risk, letting older people actually live their lives, but more to the point, finding a way to help them live that life where they want to be, whether it's at home with their pets and their their books and their their families, or even with other elders. But... uh, there are ways to do that, and even uh, Alzheimer's or dementia is no barrier to that, and it's it's less expensive. So we just need to start opening our minds to the creative possibilities out there. More money isn't always the answer. Anyway, this has been Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain registration. Learn more about them at pair.com, P-A-I-R.com. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout, and our logo is courtesy of Angel Collini. Uh, please visit our website at healthcarepolitics.com. That's healthcare-politics.com. And remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. The views expressed on, by the hosts and guests re- represent their individual points of view and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of the sponsors, advertisers, station, or management. Until next time, this is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Always dare to be reasonable.